First reading, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 to the end. And that can be found on page 5 of the New Testament sections of the Church Bibles. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his foothold, footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brother and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And our second reading is from the book of Romans. It is Romans chapter 13, verses 8 till the end. And that can be found on page 158 of the New Testament sections of your Bibles. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than now, than than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, Let us live honorably as in the day, not revealing and drunkenness, not in debauchery or license, that word, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Cam, very much indeed. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, these are hard words 
hard words in some ways to understand, even harder to live. So please help us and send now the help of your spirit that you would change us and move us and motivate us more and more to live like you as your children in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's great to see you this morning. We're in Matthew 5, we're carrying on with the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to begin by exploring the theme of children who take after their parents. You might think of yourself and the ways you imitated your mum or your dad by design or by default. You might think of your own children or children you know. The inevitability of becoming like them. Uh, As Rebecca and I begin the adventure of parenting Rosanna, we're already seeing ways that she is doing what we're doing, saying what we're saying, whether we like it or not, whether it's good or not. So even the last few weeks, Rosanna is learning or trying to put on her socks and shoes. She's seen mummy and daddy do that. There's inevitably nature and nurture, isn't there? Why are we like our parents in some ways? Is that because of what we've seen from them and we've been taught by them? Or is it that we just caught it? It's just within us. We can't help but be like the chip off the old block. It was Mark Twain who said that children are natural mimics who act like their parents despite every effort to teach them good manners. And today we're thinking, what does it mean in Jesus' kingdom? What does it mean in Jesus' family to share that family likeness? The last verse Cam read from Matthew 5, did you hear it? It's very, very striking. Matthew 5, page 5 of the New Testament, verse 48. Here's the family likeness. Be therefore perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you hear that and you think, Jesus has got a lot of tough sayings, but this has got to be the top, hasn't it? But actually, I think this is probably one of those occasions where the word isn't the most helpful. It's not sinless perfection. It's not 100%. It's live a whole life. It's be complete. It's be entirely devoted. And in fact, as the Sermon on the Mount goes on, this word perfect, the contrast, the opposite to perfect, is actually the hypocrites. The people who say one thing, but do another. The people who think one thing inwardly, but outwardly are all show and appearance. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not what it's like in God's family. God's children bear the family likeness. It's taught and it's caught. It's nature and it's nurture as we learn what it's like to follow Jesus. And so think of it in one way, like a piece of machinery, like a lawnmower. A lawnmower, as you're cutting the grass at the moment, is only fully functioning if all its parts are working together, if it's whole. And Jesus says this is what it means to be perfect, to be complete, to be whole, to be undivided in our devotion to God. And so Jesus says, verse 48, be perfect. And today what we're going to see in these examples in how we speak and how we act is what it means to live out this family likeness. What it means in our words and our actions to be like God. And of course, verse 48 hints at the very purpose of what it means to be a human. Do you remember right back at the beginning of the Bible? How does God describe humans? As those made, what? In the image, in the likeness of God. And so to become like God, to be like God, to share in his image, in his likeness, is what we're made for. 
It's where true life, happiness, flourishing is found. It's what our destiny is, to be like God. And so come with me today to see what it's like in how we speak and how we act. And what we're going to do today, a little bit differently, we're going to have a pause after each section to give you a moment, not least in the heat, but also to reflect and perhaps bring your own prayers to God about what it means for us to live as children in how we speak and in how we act. So have a look, first of all, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 to 37, all about truthful talking, all about how we speak. Do you see how Jesus describes it? He says, verse 33, Again, you've heard that it was said of those in ancient times, You shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you had made to the Lord. In this chapter, again and again and again, Jesus is going to say, You've heard that it was said, do this, but I say, do that. And he's not actually contrasting the Old Testament with his teaching. I've not realized that every time Jesus quotes the Old Testament, he says, it is written. But here he's saying, you've heard that it was said. This is how people today, in Jesus' time, are teaching the Old Testament. It's a misunderstanding. It's a misrepresentation of God's word. And so Jesus says, look, you've heard that it was said, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you made to the Lord. But I say to you, verse 34, do not swear at all. And you think, what's going on here? What what is Jesus talking about? What are these swearings or oaths? In the Old Testament, God made oaths. Do you remember with Noah? He said, never again will I flood the earth. That was an oath. That was a, a swearing of God by himself. In the Old Testament, God enabled and allowed people to make oaths, to swear by things. In our culture now, we don't make oaths as much, do we? We, we sign contracts. So when you got a house, what do you do? You sign a contract. If you got married, what do you do? You signed a contract. If you got a new job, what do you do? You sign a contract. At that time, it was oaths. It was an oral society. They spoke it. And oaths were part of life. And in fact, even in the New Testament, Jesus on trial is under an oath. And he's happy to answer. Paul in the letters several times says, I command you in the sight of God. He's giving an oath. He's swearing. So it's not a literal no oaths. What was happening is they were misusing it. They were saying, well, if we, if we swear by this, then it doesn't really matter. Because I've not, I've not sworn by God. So if I swear by the hairs of my head, oh, it's okay. If I swear by Jerusalem, oh, that's okay because it's, it's not God. It's a little bit like in our culture, you know, when you're in primary school, fingers behind the back, oh, it doesn't, doesn't count because I've got my fingers behind my back. That's the sort of idea here. And Jesus says, no, the children of God who bear the family likeness of God, the one who is truth, Jesus, the one who says, I am the truth, we're to bear the family likeness. We're not to try and dodge our way out of telling the truth. Oh, it was just a white lie. Oh, it, it doesn't matter. It was probably okay. I, I think it's behind the back. Jesus says, no, it's not to be like this with you. Instead, verse 37, let your word be yes, yes, Or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Jesus says our attempts to dodge truth, to not quite say it as it is, actually is more like imitating the father of lies, the devil, than our true father, the one who is our father in heaven. In our society, we can think oaths are a long way from us and swearing. We don't really do it. Unless you're in a court of law and then you might swear on the Bible there. But in our society, it's easy to see how truth has broken down, isn't it? I was trying to remember which year it was where 
post-truth was the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year. Do you remember which year it was? 2016. Oxford Dictionaries, every year, they, they have one word that summarizes the world, international affairs. 2016, with Brexit and Trump, they used the word post-truth. We live, don't we, in a world of fake news. We're not really sure who we can trust, at least when we turn on BBC News and our televisions and the newspaper. Jesus says it's not to be like this with the children of God who bear the likeness of their Heavenly Father. So you know that moment when someone texts you asking you, uh, do you want to do something? And you know you're not going to do it. You know you're not going to meet them where it was or do that thing, but you say, oh yeah, I can do it. And then just before, if you're anything like me sometimes, you text them back and say, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't do it now. Jesus says, let your yes be yes. Be people of your word. Be people like your heavenly father. When you say you'll do something, do it. Jesus says, when we say, or perhaps our spouse or someone we know, have you done this? Have you done that? Then sometimes maybe we say, oh, I'm doing it. Or if someone's on the phone and says, have you done it? I'm doing it straight away. You know, your work colleague, I'm doing it straight away. Rebecca asked me, have we heard back from them yet? And I say, oh, we're waiting to hear back. We're waiting because I've not asked them yet. I've not emailed them yet. I've not texted them yet. I'm, we're waiting. I'm dodging the truth. You get the point, don't you? It's very easy for us to do this. But Jesus says, in his kingdom, for those who are children of God, we're to bear the family likeness of our Father in heaven. And so, I want us to reflect now on our words and have a moment to think about them. We didn't have a confession at the beginning. There's an opportunity to confess now to God, silently, and to ask that you would bear the likeness of your Father in heaven, who is also always true, who when he promises something, he does it, who when he says it, will ensure it happens, who in Jesus has always been true. So a moment in the silence to reflect on your words, to speak to God in the quiet of your heart, and then we'll come back together. Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Our Father in heaven, we want to be like you, and we thank you for the ways you're not like us that your words are always true, reliable, consistent, that you act on what you say. Help us, we pray, to bear your likeness, to bear the family resemblance, and strengthen us, empower us to do this, even when it's hard, even when we try and wriggle out of the truth. In Jesus' name, who is the truth. Amen. So we bear the family likeness in what we say. But then for the rest of the chapter, Jesus is thinking about in what we do. Not so much truthful words, but love in action. And Jesus does this thing again. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. So have a listen. Verse 38, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. Now, the first one we saw was sort of a combination of quotes from the Old Testament about oaths. This one is a direct quote. You'd find it in places like Exodus 21, just after the Ten Commandments. And this law was given 
to restrict violence. You know, to us it could sound a bit, bit extreme. You know, if you, if you punch me in my eye, I'm going to punch you in your eye. If you take out my tooth, we're not talking about dentists, if you take out my tooth, I'm going to take out yours. But actually, this law was to restrict violence. It was to restrain violence. Instead of it escalating and going on and on and on, I, I punch Cam in the arm, Cam punches me in the face. I kick Cam in the leg, he punches me in the head. And it goes up and up and up. And where does it end? It never ends. It keeps going and going and going. And what you did to one person, you might then get them back by getting all the family. Like in the playground, oh, my big brother's going to get you. My big brother's going to get all of you, all your family. And it escalates and escalates. And we, we joke about it, but not just in schools, but in gang culture across this country and the world, that's how life operates. And so this law was a good law to restrain evil. And it was, it was the judiciary. It wasn't personally what to do. It was what to do as a whole society, as the people of God. And in fact, it's still very much a part of our law today here in England. But Jesus says we're not to be like this. Now, it's hard words, isn't it? Does this mean we just resist everyone? You know, we can think of extreme and horrendous examples where it would not be good to simply resist the evildoer. I think of the child who's been abused by their parents. In that situation, they're not simply to resist the evildoer. They're to sort it out, get help, get, get safeguarding, etc. These verses, if we, if we take them absolutely literally, you could be a doormat, Never stand up for yourself. But Jesus, even on trial, does confront his accusers with some of the things they're doing wrong. Paul, on trial, says, look, I'm a Roman citizen. You shouldn't treat me like this. Verse 40, if we gave our clothes away, every time someone asked us, you could imagine a bizarre but literally situation where you'd end up naked. Is that what Jesus is saying? Verse 41, you might be always on the road. You know, I've got to go home and with Rebecca and Rosanna, but someone says, oh, can you just walk in? I've got to keep going and keep going and keep going. Is it literal? Jesus is giving us four pictures of what life in the kingdom, life for people who are children of God is like. And the final picture, well, when someone asks you, you know, if you keep walking past uh, certain individuals in town when they ask you, does Jesus mean you're just meant to give to them again and again and again? You know, it's a picture here, isn't it? It's a picture of giving is a picture of not necessarily standing on your rights as children of God. It's a picture of freely, sacrificially, voluntarily giving of yourself, your time, your possessions. And doing that even when it costs you. Apparently, to be slapped on the face wasn't so much a physical insult. You know, if, if Cam did want to get me back for some reason one time, he, he probably would do more than slap me, wouldn't he? He'd, you know, you'd probably punch. A slap was a was an insult. It was a way of showing contempt to someone. It was a way of shaming someone. And so for us, we, here in Ecclesall, in sort of suburban middle-class England, we're probably not going to be slapped in the face, are we? I've never been. Perhaps you have been. Um, it's possible, isn't it? I'm sure some of us have. But it's probably being treated with contempt. It's probably being shamed, particularly for being a Christian. It's the sort of snide remark that a family member makes and just wears you down. It's the comment at work that again pokes fun that you're a Christian. You can't believe all that nonsense, can you? You still go to church? It's the friend who just thinks you're stupid or silly or old-fashioned for still believing in Jesus. And so what, what are we meant to do in those situations? Well, Jesus says we're not to rise to it. We're not to retaliate and do whatever they've done or worse. 
were to turn the other cheek. It's interesting in the Sermon on the Mount how many times the teachings of Jesus have just seeped into modern language. Turn the other cheek. Go the other mile. A few weeks ago, the salt of the earth. Jesus' teaching and impact is everywhere, even when we don't realize it. And so Jesus says, love like he did. When you think of Jesus, the one who not only teaches this stuff, but does it. When he's on trial, he's mocked. He's slapped in the face. His clothes are taken from him. They gamble for them, don't they? He's forced not to go an extra mile, but forced to carry his own cross. And in a moment when we get to the words, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, well, we know what Jesus did on the cross, don't we? Father, forgive them. This is what life is like in the kingdom of heaven. This is what the king of heaven does to bring us in, to make us his children, to enable us to be part of his kingdom, part of his new world, his church, his community, his family. And so Jesus says, love like this. And it goes to the extreme when he tells us, love your enemies. I mean... Think of the person now in your life, you might not call them an enemy, but think of the person in your life who is most difficult to love. Family member, colleague, friend who's betrayed you. Love your enemies, says Jesus. What are we to do with this? Is this just lofty ideals that we're to leave there, never to try and do it? Well, Martin Luther King, who knew a thing or two about loving your enemy, in a sermon on this text, he said this, Far from being the pious words of a utopian dreamer, this command is an absolute necessity for the survival of our civilization. Yes, it is love that will save our world and our civilization, love even for our enemies. Luther King saying, you know what? If we want this world to go on, we've got to learn how to do this. And Jesus is the only one. Of all the teachers in the world, no one ever else said this. Love your enemies. And so how are we meant to do it? How is it possible? Think again of that person you find most difficult to love. How on earth are you meant to do it? And then listen to the motivation Jesus gives us. Verse 45. Jesus says, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the righteous. Jesus is saying, the person you find so difficult to love, the person who may well be your enemy, he says, think about your Father in heaven. Think about what he's like. The sunshine in Sheffield today, is that just on the ones who are Christians in Jesus' kingdom, part of his family? No. You can ignore God, hate him, mock him, just live how you want. He still showers his blessings and kindness and goodness on you, doesn't he? And Jesus says, this is what it's like for those in the kingdom. I heard someone say that one of the ways you really know you're a Christian, you really are, is if you realize you were once an enemy of God. Once someone who was far from God. In fact, Luke, in his account of the same teachings in Luke chapter 6, he says God makes his rain and sun shine down on the ungrateful and the wicked. It's those who realize that we were once ungrateful and unwicked. It's those who realize we were once enemies with God, far from him. Treating him with contempt in his world, not spitting in his face, just doing whatever we wanted. 
without reference to him, no love for him. Jesus says, we are now adopted children. Once enemies, now adopted. And when we know this, when this begins to take its effect in our hearts, when the Spirit grabs hold of us more and more, we live like he does. We share the family likeness. And so to love our enemy, the person we find most difficult, is to pray for them. Is to bring the person you find so difficult to the throne of heaven and say, God, help me to love this person. It's to bless them. It's to want their good. You know that feeling when there's someone you don't like and something goes wrong in their life and you actually inside you're quite happy about it. The Germans have a word for it. I think Schadenfreude. Happiness in their discomfort, in their defeat, in their difficulties. But we're only going to be able to do this and have the resources to do this if we know God's love for us. While we were still enemies, the Apostle Paul will say, Christ died for us. And so as those now who are adopted live this out. And as I finish, I think probably the most famous example I can think of of this is from a lady called Corrie ten Boom. She was the Dutch daughter of a reformed Christian family. And she was ordered with her father and sister, other members of the family, to Ravensbrück during the Second World War, to a concentration camp. She was there when her own father and sister died. And in the years afterwards, she managed to survive. She went across Europe, telling her story, speaking the message of love, of forgiveness, even for your enemies. And then if you know the story of her life, you'll know the time came in 1947, when as she was speaking, at the end of her talk, she noticed a gentleman in the audience. It was one of the guards. One of the guards from the concentration camp all those years ago. And as she recounts the story, she recounts seeing him, but they were having flashbacks of seeing him in the, in the prison. Flashbacks of her sister, Betsy. And in that moment, having spoken about God's love for his enemies and how we're to love our enemies and forgive our enemies, this gentleman comes up to her and says, thank you so much for the speech. A few years ago, I became a Christian and have known the forgiveness of God. And he then looks Corrie ten Boone in the eye and says, will you forgive me? Corrie ten Boone didn't think this man would remember her or recognize her, but he did. And this is then what she says, I quote, Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sins of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man and for me. Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And so I discovered that it is not on our own forgiveness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he told us to love our enemies, he gives along with this command the love itself. You never so touch the ocean of God's love as when you forgive and love your enemies. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And the danger in a way of someone like me giving examples so high is we think, oh, that was her, but I can't do it. But Corrie ten Boone says the very same love of God that is in us, if we're his children 
is able to help us to love our enemies. And so in this moment of quiet now, I'd like us to think about our actions. Is there someone we struggle to love? It might not be as strong as enemy. Someone we struggle to love. Let's ask God to help us, to forgive us, and enable us to show that love, to go that extra mile, to turn that other cheek. In the choir is a moment to pray. God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still enemies, still sinners, Christ died for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and we want to be like you. Pour your love into our hearts by your Spirit that we may walk in your ways and bear your likeness. In Jesus' name, amen.